Hey, it's Roland Mertens here. Before we start today's podcast, I wanted to tell you about QCon London 2024. It is QCon's flagship international software development conference that takes place in the heart of London next April 8 to 10. I will be there learning about senior practitioners' experiences and exploring their points of view on emerging trends and best practices across topics like software architecture, generative AI, platform engineering, observability, and secure software supply chains. Discover what your peers have learned, explore the techniques they are using, and learn about all the pitfalls to avoid. Learn more at qgondon.com, and we really hope to see you there. Please say hi to me when you are. Welcome everyone to the InfoQ podcast. My name is Roland Meertens, and I'm your host for today. I am interviewing Shreya Rashpal, who is a CEO and co-founder of Guardrails AI. We are talking to each other in person at the QCon San Francisco conference, just after she gave the presentation called Building Guardrails for Enterprise AI Applications with Large Language Models. Keep an eye on InfoQ.com for her presentation, as it contained many insights into how one can add guardrails to your large language model application so you can actually make them work. During today's interview, we will dive deeper into how this works, and I hope you enjoy it and you can learn from it. Welcome, Shreya, to the InfoQ podcast. We are here at QCon in San Francisco. How do you enjoy the conference so far? Yeah, it's been a blast. Thanks for doing the podcast. I really enjoyed the conference. I was also here last year, and I had just a lot of fantastic conversations. I was really looking forward to it, and I think it holds up to the standard. All right. And you just gave your talk. How did it go? What was your talk about? I think it was a pretty good talk. The audience was very engaged. I got a lot of questions at the end and they were very like pertinent questions. So I enjoyed the engagement with the audience. The topic of my talk was on guardrails or the concept of building guardrails for large language model applications, especially from the lens of, you know, this open source framework I created, which is also called Guardrails AI. What is Guardrails AI? What does it do? How can it help me out? Guardrails AI essentially looks to solve the problem of reliability and safety for large language model applications. So if you work with generative AI and built applications on top of generative AI, what you'll often end up finding is that they're really flexible and they're really functional, but they're not always like useful primarily because you know they're not always as reliable. So I like comparing them with you know traditional software APIs, right? So traditional software APIs tend to have a lot of correctness baked into the API because we're in a framework or we're in a world that's very deterministic. Compared to that, generative AI ends up, you know, being very, very performant, but it ends up being essentially not as rigorous in terms of correctness criteria. So hallucinations, for example, are a common issue that we see. So this is the problem that Guardrails AI tends to solve. So it essentially is something that acts like a firewall around your LLM APIs and make sure that any input that you send to the LLM or any output that you could receive from the LLM is functionally correct for whatever correctness might mean for you, right? Maybe that's not hallucinating and then it'll check for not hallucinations. Maybe it means like not having any profanity in your generated text because of you know who your audience is and it'll check for that. Maybe it means getting the right structured outputs and all of those can be basically correctness criteria that are enforced. Yeah, so it can, if I, for example, ask it for a JSON document, you will guarantee me that I get correct JSON, but I assume that it can't really check any of the contents, right? 
Oh, it does, yeah. I think like JSON correctness is something that we do and something that we do well. <laughs> but in addition to that, that is how I look at it. That's kind of like table stakes, but it can also like look at each field of the JSON and make sure that's correct. Even if you're not generating JSON and you're generating like string output. So let's say you have a question answering chatbot and you want to make sure that the string response that you get from your LLM is not hallucinated or doesn't violate any rules or regulations of wherever you are. Like those are also functional things that can be checked and enforced. So this is basically then like an API interface on top of the large language model. Yeah, I like to think of it as kind of like a shell around the LM. So it kind of acts as a sentinel at the input of the LM, at the output of the LM, and like acts as, you know, making sure that there's no dangerous outputs or unreliable outputs or unsecure outputs essentially. Yeah, nice. And is this something which you then solve with few-shot learning, or how do you then ensure this correctness? Yeah, yeah. In practice, how we end up doing it is a bunch of different techniques depending on the problem that we solve. So for example, for JSON correctness, et cetera, we essentially look to see, OK, here's our expected structure. Here's what's incorrect. And you can solve it by few-shot prompting to get the right JSON output. But depending on like what the problem is, we end up using like different sets of techniques. So for example, a key abstract action in our framework is this idea of a validator where a validator basically checks for a specific requirement. And you can combine all of these validators together in a guard. And that guard will basically you know, run alongside your LLM API and make sure that there's those guarantees that we care about. And our framework is both a template for creating your own custom validators and like orchestrating them via the orchestration layer that we provide, as well as a library of many, many commonly used validators across a bunch of use cases. So some of them may be like rules validators. So for example, we have one that makes sure that any like regex pattern that you provide, you can make sure that the fields in your JSON or any string output that you get from your JSON like matches that regex. We have this one that I talked about in my talk, which you can check out on infoq.com, called provenance. And provenance is essentially making sure that every LLM utterance has some grounding in a source of truth that you know to be true, right? So let's say you're an organization that is building a chatbot. You can make sure that your chatbot only answers from the documents, from your help center documents, or from the documents that you know to be true and you provide the chatbot, and not from its own like world model of the internet that it was trained on, right? So provenance looks at every utterance that the LLM has and like checks to see where did it come from in my document and make sure that you know it's correct. And if it's not correct, that means it was hallucinated and can be filtered out. So we have like different versions of them and they use like various different machine learning techniques under the hood. The simplest one basically uses like embedding similarity. We have more complex ones that use like LM self-evaluation or NLI-based classification, like a natural language inference. And so depending on what the problem is, we use like either code or ML models or we use external APIs to make sure that the output that you get is correct. And just from my understanding, where do you build in these guardrails? Is this something you build into the model? So do you fine tune the model? Or is this something you build into essentially the beam search for the output where you say, oh, but if you generate this, this path can't be correct. Do you do it at this level? Or do you just take the already generated whole text by your large language model and do you then, in hindsight, kind of post-process it? The latter. Our core assumption is that we're very like 
we abstract out the model completely. So you can yeah. use an open source model, you can use a commercial model. The example I like using is that in the extreme, you can use a random string generator, and we'll check that random string generator for like profanity or you know making sure that it matches like a regex pattern or something, right? That's like worst large language model. Yeah, the worst, <laughs> exactly, the worst large language model. I guess it was a decision that allows developers to really be flexible and focus on you know more application level concerns rather than you know really wrangling their model itself. And so how we end up operating is that we are kind of like a sidecar that runs along your model. So any prompt that you're sending over to your LLM can first pass through guardrails, check to see if there's any safety concerns, et cetera. And then the output that comes back from your LLM before being sent to your application passes through guardrails. Yeah. So are there any trade-offs when you're building in these guardrails? Are there some people who say, oh, but I like some of the errors or? That's an interesting question. I once remember chatting with someone who was like, oh yeah, they were building an LM application that was used by a lot of people. And they basically said, no, actually people like using us because our system does have profanity and it mm. does have a lot of things that for other commercial models are filtered out via their moderation APIs. Yeah. And so there is an audience for that as well. In that case, like what we end up typically seeing is that correctness means different things to different people, right? So for the person that I mentioned for whom like profanity was a good thing, the correct response for them is a response that contains profanity, right? So you can yeah. essentially like configure each of these to work for you. There's no like universal definition of what correctness is, just as there's no universal, you know, like use case, et cetera. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you already seen any applications where your guardrails have added a significant impact to the application? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think like some of my most exciting applications are either in chatbots or in structured data extraction. I also think that those are where most of the LM applications today are around. So if you're doing structured data extraction, which is you're taking like a whole chunk of unstructured data, and then from that unstructured data, you're generating, you know, some table or something, right? Like you're generating a JSON payload that can then go into your data warehouse as like a row of data. So in that case, essentially making sure that the data you extract is correct and uses the right context and doesn't veer too far off from historically the data that you receive from that. I think that's a common use case. I think the other one that I've seen is you're building a chatbot and you care about like some concerns in that chatbot. Like, for example, if you're in a regulated industry, making sure that there's no like rules that are violated, like misleading your customer about some feature of your product, et cetera. Brand risk, using the right tone of voice that aligns with your brand's like communication requirements. I think that's another common one. Checking for like bias, et cetera, is another common one. Mm -hmm. So there tend to be a lot of these like very diverse set of like correctness criteria that people have with chatbots that we can enforce. So how do you enforce these things, for example, bias? Because I think that's something which is quite hard to grasp, especially if you have only one sample instead of seeing a large overview of samples. Yeah, I think this is another one of those things where like, depending on the application or the use case, like different organizations may have like different desiderata. So for example, like one of the things you can check for is essentially gendered language, right? Like are you using like very gendered language or are you using like gender neutral language like when you need to be using in your press briefs, etc. So that is like one specific way of checking bias. But our core philosophy is to kind of like take these requirements and kind of like break them down into, you know, these smaller chunks that can then be configured and like put together. Yeah, yeah or I just remember that if you have Google Photos, they at some point had this incident where someone put in gorillas and then found like images of people. 
I think they just stopped using this keyword at all, which is quite interesting. Yeah, any other applications where you already saw a significant impact or do you have any concrete examples? Yeah, let's see. I think there's a bunch of like, if you go to our open source GitHub page, I think there's about like 100 or so projects that use guardrails, you know, for enforcing their guarantees. I want to say most of them are around like chatbots or structured data extraction. I see a lot of resume screening ones. Like I see a lot of, you know, like making sure that you're able to go to someone's like LinkedIn profile or look at like someone's resume and make sure that they're the right candidate for you by looking for, you know, specific keywords and like how those keywords like projected onto a resume so I think that's a common one yeah I think those are like some of the top of mind ones like help center support chatbots are another common use case analyzing like contracts etc you know using LMs I think is another one these are sound like applications where you absolutely need to be sure that whatever you put there is is correct is, yeah. is very correct yeah. yeah yeah absolutely so what kind of questions did you get after the talk who were interested in this what kind of questions were there the audience is pretty excited about a lot of the content. I think like one of my favorite questions was around like the cost of implementing guardrails, right? Like at the end of the day, there's no free lunch. This is all like compute that needs to happen at runtime and make sure that you know, you're at runtime looking at where your risk areas are of your system and like safeguarding against those risk areas, which typically requires like add some amount of latency, add some amount of like cost, et cetera, as well. And so I think that was an interesting question about like how do we think about you know the cost of like implementing that. I think we've done a bunch of work in making the guardrails configurable enough where you can set a policy on each guardrail to make sure that it's you know a policy that allows you to say how much you care about something, right? Not every guardrail is like pull the alarm, this is a horrible outcome. Like some of them are, you know, like bad, but you just shrug and move on. Some of them are like you take some programmatic action. Some of them, you know, you do like more aggressive like risk mitigation. And so that is configurable. And we did a bunch of investment making sure that, you know, they're low latency, they can like be paralyzed very easily, et cetera. So for example, I could say I absolutely want my output to be the right API specification but it's okay if one of the categories didn't exist before or isn't in my prompt. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's exactly right. I think a classic example I like using is that if you're in healthcare and you're building like a healthcare support chatbot, you do not have the authorization to give medical advice to anyone who comes on. And so that's a guardrail where like the no medical advice guardrail where you'd much rather be like, oh, I might as well like not respond to this customer and let a human come in if I suspect that there's medical advice, you know, in my output. So that's a guardrail where you either get it right or, you know, it's not useful to your customer at all, right? So that's one of the ones where even if it's slightly more expensive, you're willing to take that on. A lot of the other ones you can, like you said, if there's some extra fields, it's you know that you're typically okay with yeah yeah so what are the next steps then for guardrails ai what kind of things are you thinking about for the future do you get some requests all the time yeah i think a common request that we get is i think this is much less a capability thing and more like you know just make it easy for our users to use it where we have like support for a lot of the common models but we keep getting requests every day for support bard or support like anthropic etc so we have like a custom like i said like a string to string translator mm -hmm. where you can substitute your favorite model and use whichever one you want but like i think that's a common one where just add more integrations with like other models that are out there is there a winning model at the moment which everybody is going for i think OpenAI typically is the one that we see most commonly yeah 
I think like some of the other ones are more around like specific features with being able to create like custom guardrails with like lower input involved. So like I mentioned, we have a framework for creating custom guardrails, but they're like, okay, how do I make it easier to see what's happening? I think like better logging and visibility is another one. So a lot of exciting changes. I think a few weeks ago, we released like our big 0.2 release, which had like a lot of these changes kind of implemented in addition to a lot of like stability improvements, et cetera. And yeah, more releases to come. Yeah, and so for the fixing the errors, is this just always hand-coded rules or could you also send it back to a large language model and say, oh, we got this issue, try it again, fix yeah, it. Yeah, so that's what we like to call the re-asking paradigm that we implemented. So that actually was a core design principle behind guardrails where these models have this very like fascinating ability to self-heal. If you tell them like why they're wrong, they're often able to like incorporate that feedback and like correct themselves. So guardrails like basically automatically constructs a prompt for you and then sends it back and then you know runs verification, et cetera, all over again. This is another one of those things that I walked over in my talk, which you know is available for viewers. Yeah, so then do you just take the existing output and then send the output back and say, this was wrong, fix it? Or do you just re-ask the question and hope that it gets it correct the next time? Yeah, that's a great question. So typically we work on the output level. We've done like some prompt engineering to on our end to configure how to create this prompt to get the most likely correct output. So we include like the original request, we include the output. On the output, we do some optimization where we only, and this is configurable as well, where you only re-ask the incorrect parts. So often you'll end up finding like there's a specific like localized area, either like some field in a JSON or if you have a large string or a paragraph or something, you know, some sentences in a paragraph that are incorrect. So you only send those back for re-asking and not the whole thing. And that ends up being like a little bit less expensive. Yeah, okay. Oh, interesting. So you only query the things which you know are wrong. Right, uh, right. Ah, smart. Yeah, that must save a lot of money. Yeah. And then in terms of correctness and safety, do you have any tips for people who are writing prompts such that you can structure them better? Or how do you normally evaluate whether a prompt is correct? I think my response is that I kind of disagree with the premise of the question a little bit. I actually, I go over this in my talk, but what you end up finding a lot of times is that people invest a lot of time and energy in prompt engineering. But at the end of the day, like prompts aren't guarantees, right? Like, first of all, the LMs are non-deterministic. So even if you have like the best prompt figured out, you send that same prompt over like 10 different times and you're gonna see like different outputs, like you're not yeah. gonna get the right output. I think the second is that like prompt isn't a guarantee guarantee like maybe you're like okay this is what I want from you this is you know the prompt communicating with the LM like this is what I want from you make sure you're not violating XYZ criteria etc yeah. there's yeah. absolutely nothing guaranteeing that the LM is going to respect those instructions in the prompt right so you end up yeah. getting like incorrect responses still so what we say as like safer prompts like yes definitely like prompt is a way to prime the LM for being more correct than normal so you can still like definitely include those instructions of like don't do X, Y, Z, but verify, right? Like yeah. make sure that you actually like those conditions are being respected. Otherwise you're opening yourself up to like a world of pain. Yeah, I also find it really cute if people just put things in there like, oh, you're a very nice, <laughs> you're a very <laughs> nice agent. Yeah. You always give the correct answer. Like, ah, yeah. that's, that will help us. <laughs> One of my favorite anecdotes here is from a friend of mine, actually, who works with LMs and has been doing that like for a few years now, which is a few 
years ahead of a lot of other people getting into the area. And I think one of her prompts was like, a man will die if you don't respect this constraint, you know, oh, okay. uh, which is a way to like wrangle the LM to get the right output. So people do all sorts of weird things, but our key thing, I think she ended up moving on to this like verification system as well. So I think like at the end of the day, you need to make sure that those conditions you care about are respected and prompting is, you know, just plain insufficient. Yeah, yeah. So I guess that's the lesson we learned today is uh, always tell your LOM that someone will die if they get the answer <laughs> incorrect. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, interesting. All right. Thank you very much for being on the podcast and hope you enjoy Kugel. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, excited to be here. Thank you very much for listening to this podcast. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. As I mentioned, we will upload the talk on infoq.com sometime in the future. So keep an eye on that. Thank you again for listening. And thank you again, Shreya, for joining the Interview Podcast.